This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. Today, we're kicking off a new mini-series exploring the Filipino impact on Seattle's hip-hop scene. From DJ Nasty Ness having the first rap radio show on the West Coast, to the World Championship breakdancing crew Massive Monkeys, to countless Filipino MCs, including Prometheus Brown, a.k.a. Geologic of Blue Scholars, there's no denying how much Filipinos contributed to the scene. Sister sits on the steps, cigarette rests on fingertips, takes a sip of slow death, deftly through her lips, she blows a kiss. Which I can only resist in vain. She got the gift of gravity, pulling to ask her name. She says Sagap. During these next few episodes, KEXP DJs Gabriel Teodros, Mike Ramos, and Larry Mizell Jr. will share interviews and stories of some of these folks and their legacy. But to set things up, Mike, Gabriel, and Larry caught up to preview what's to come with this series. We're calling it Filipino Hip Hop 206. Here's Gabriel. First started thinking about it, like it became clear to me um, some years ago. DJ Cut and Candy, who's an incredible turntablist from New York, actually published a book about it called uh, Empire of Funk Representation in Filipino America. And uh, I went to the launch for that book over at uh, the Beacon in the ID. And um, a lot of Seattle heads were in the building, not just like to see this book launch, but they had also written for the book. So Prometheus Brown was there. Heads from Massive Monkeys and even Cutting Candy was talking about how important like a lot of the movement that Filipino artists have done in Seattle was important to their community as a whole, you know, and it made me like it made me really look at just the history of Seattle hip hop and think like, wow, Filipino folks have really been here in hip hop <laughs> on the West Coast since its inception, you know. Similar to Puerto Ricans in New York, you know, so mm-hmm. right. right, been here yeah. on, on the West Coast for a long time. You know, my grandfather, for one, you know, he was from Tagodin, a local sir, came to America, I think landed in California initially, ended up in Seattle. And so, you know, there's just been Filipinos out here just making a living, making a way out here since better part of that whole last century <laughs> into this one. And so, of course, you know, we definitely got deep roots in the hip hop thing as well, you know, and like this, my experience doing this little series, getting to speak to a couple of the members of Massive Monkeys, talking to a few of them, saying that they already had, you know, kind of role models, mentors to look up to, you know, that were also Filipino, you know, from, you know, the the DJs that were doing stuff at these community centers while they were learning and breaking and all that to... You know, just people around them, classmates and, you know, friends. Just, yeah, it's definitely crazy. Definitely goes deep, though. Mike, you were talking about talking to the cats from Massive Monkeys, and it's got to be understood. This is one of the best, greatest B-boy crews in the world. We're, in fact, world champions. I was going to say, literally one world right. championship events <laughs> like more, on more than one occasion i'm, I'm pretty right. sure so mm-hmm. definitely respected around the world kind of like as close to a household name i think as you can get for like a crew of b-boys especially around here i mean they kind of talked about how they went from you know just a crew of friends homies doing stuff together in middle school high school days to getting tv deals with mtv they were the 
Sonic's Boom Squad, kind of like dance team, halftime show, entertainment team. They were got their own holiday <laughs> declared by one of Seattle, like one of the old Seattle mayors. Definitely long list of accolades, and just yeah, like I kind of said, just pretty much close to a household name for crew of b-boys as you can get for sure just foundational influences on this culture that we observe and going back to the beginning and impacting all of hip-hop spread to the west coast in general it starts with nestor rodriguez nasty ness the legend yes the guy who uh started rap attack yes rap attack k-fox k-fox and Rap Attack, was it called Fresh Tracks at first? I can't remember, but... I got to sit with him for this series. We talked oh, for nice. an hour. And uh, it was it was amazing, man. It was the longest longest conversation I had with Ness. It did start as Fresh Tracks. He was, uh, he was 18 years old. And he was talking about how, you know, kind of making the evolution from Fresh Tracks to playing more hip-hop um, and making that evolution to Rap Attack like K-Fox... Like that show ended up having like the highest ratings on that station. And really important to note too, Fresh Tracks, the original incarnation of Rap Attack, that was the first all hip hop radio show west of the Mississippi. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. And that, that was no, that, that's, that's no small thing. So he was a, a big presence in the, the, the beginnings of West Coast hip hop uh, being proliferated on the airwaves. That's why if you listen to Easy Does It, the first album by Easy E, his song yeah. Radio, you're going to hear Nasty Ness at the end. He says, Nasty Ness in Seattle. Hello, you're on the air. Hey, what's up? This is Nasty Ness calling from Seattle. Hey, what's happening, old boy? I'm calling to be on Easy E's new record, Radio. Now you're late. But he talked about, uh, you know, meeting Mix a lot early on, and and he talked about growing up in Yesler Terrace, which I found fascinating. And um, you know, I asked him kind of how the makeup of the neighborhood was, and uh, he talked about going to the Boys and Girls Club in the Central District, seeing Mix a lot for the first time, and him and his boy were actually the only Filipinos in the building at the time, you know. And he was a little a little nervous about that back in the early '80s, you know, which all of that was fascinating to me because you know, looking at our generation, it's like my earliest memories of hip hop have Filipinos almost in equal numbers, especially in Seattle, you know? Um, so hearing Ness's perspective on that was fascinating, but it was also hella cool hearing him like talk about how, you know, he moved over to KCMU when it was at the UW and had, you know, rap attack. He was DJing here through basically from 93 to 98, which is like two of hip hop's golden ages, you know what I'm right, saying? Right. At, at mm-hmm. KCMU the whole time. And uh yeah, super, super cool, super cool interview, man. And also of note, man, just um one thing that I think people for forget, and we talked about it a little bit in the interview, is that Nasty Mix Records, what Mix a lot and Nasty Ness did, was an independent label. Like that was that was an independent movement out of Seattle before people were really doing things like independent, you know, right, labels. Right. That was early in general right. with that, and, you know? And they went platinum. Yes. If I'm not mistaken, in those Indie. early days. Yeah. <laughs> Indie, Indie platinum in the <laughs> 1980s. I mean, I can't even imagine. No wonder cats is talking about limousines and everything. You know, it's another level. Exactly. And Gabriel, I know you, um, you're talking to the folks from Isang Mahal. Oh yeah, that was that was important for me, brother, because 
Isamaha Arts Collective, man, just and it feels so personal because I grew up going to those Isamaha open mics. Um, for folks that don't know, Isamaha Arts Collective was a Filipino arts collective that held a monthly open mic from 1997 until well into the 2000s. And it's where Prometheus Brown from Blue Scholars got his start on the mic. Territory where Carlos Bulosan once lived to tell the story of the rain sweat glory of Mike Jackson men who fight the destination we were destined to end. It's also where Youth Speak Seattle was born. Youth Speak Seattle still exists to this day. They end up birthing careers and nurturing young artists that range from Just Money to Dakota Camacho to the Queen to Mary Lambert to La to Travis Thompson to you know what I mean like the 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 ripples that have continued to reverberate and like nurture this scene that that were birthed from this thing that happened in Seventh and Jackson is like mm. something that I feel like historians of hip hop culture haven't they haven't written about they haven't even examined it because they look at it as like oh that's spoken word it's not hip hop. But what they fail to realize is that for us in that real like particular like late 90s generation teen dance ordinance, we didn't have all ages venues to go rap at, you know, so we had to go to MC battles, (laughs) outside Hmm. ciphers and spoken word open mics. And a lot of the MCs of our generation have that experience from going to all three and really cutting our teeth as performers at spoken word venues. You know what I mean? So all that to say, it was it was really important to um, to just have that documented. You know what I mean? And and the two people I focused on was uh, it was cool. We had a group conversation it was uh, with Gio, of course, from Blue Scholars and Eldia, who's an MC that literally founded Youth Speak Seattle. Uh, she's since moved on to Nottingham, the UK, you know, she's got her doctorate. She's Dr. Eldia, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, we had a really good conversation. So I think it's important to note too, how much Filipino MCs were uh, a big part of the face of the culture for a minute. Um, yeah. And, and were super instrumental. And I'm speaking to particularly the blue scholars here in bringing out numbers of people not just like the people who came to see shows regularly but bringing out whole new crowds of people who weren't participating in that and i'd never seen anything like it and uh that was something huge that the scholars put a lot of energy into in a city that's been waiting to blow since big butts and teen spirit many make music you can hear it's included in the upper left dominantly gray shaded skies every other day sort of like the bay just a little bit wetter and cold in the winter proximity to water make the soul a little gentler out of towners don't be knowing about the best kept ain't nothing better than the summer in the northwest microphone check one two oh six so i think of george being the face of so much i think of kareem from boom bap that was a group i i i loved mm-hmm. uh still love and Still active, coming out with new stuff. Who's a cooter you can count on for guarantee heat? Uh-huh. It's a boom bap project from stage to the street. Been known to set it off with two tables and a mic. Yeah, known to turn it out like park jams and street lights. Until we keep Cream, mm-hmm. always big bro. Um, think of JFK from Old Dominion, another savage right. MC. You lynched me, put me in your trunk, delivered me to the swamp thing. Permanent member of Nirvana. The water is rising at an escalation. And man, I can't swim. I traded in my gills for the white wall wheels. 
gray skull were were right. Yeah. With some black lipstick on certain occasions Take first place in a pageant like Jean Bonnet Be found in And I mean, Earliest Cats signed to uh, Rhyme Sayers So doing, yeah, you know, breaking out of Seattle in that way On the industrial side, on the, in, on the independent scene Around the time that we grew up um, And I want to talk to La Who's yeah. one of my favorite MCs from here over the last decade You know what I mean? Since he's doing his thing with Def D <laughs> To cigs, lit twigs, and flickering bigs, dim street lamps, and gats blasting the only light that exists for kids with cribs and lots for guys spots on the grid. Still is, but he's been making mm-hmm. much records like Jester. Uh, he's had some fantastic appearances on different records. I, I, I remember the first time he popped up on that physics track, backtrack. I was like, oh yeah. my god. Back, 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 back when I used to roll a sack sitting in my bedroom, listening to tracks, trying to make my own tunes, hoping I can get a stack, hoping I can get a He's still at it, still making music, still still doing it. And uh, I'm my hoping guy. to interview also um, one of the most storied, legendary, mysterious DJs from Seattle, Filipino cat, I speak of none other than DJ Kamikaze. Legend. And Mike, growing up in Seattle, it's Filipino cat yourself. What brought you to hip hop? How how did you get into it? It was just one of those things. It was kind of just always around. I remember my older cousins who, you know, on my Filipino side, I remember them having MTV on, you know, having seen like the Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, like mm-hmm. chronic videos, seeing, you know, a lot of the early like West Coast stuff. And then it was just always there, you know, <laughs> like whether it was people from my family, other kids I would go to school with. That was one of those things having, you know, growing up in Seattle, so many different kinds of kids, so many different kinds of influences, you know, you play in a little league team and it's like white kids, Jewish kids from Seward Park. There's like African kids. There's like, you know, like african-american you know like black kids there's immigrants all that and like i just remember you know finding friends that were also something like i'm super mixed obviously or whatever but uh like sound like other friends that were like kind of the same thing that i was that had similar interests that i was that was just like you know that was super important to me you know kind of growing up and you know being from a diverse background, having a lot of different things pulling you in different directions. That mm-hmm. was definitely a good kind of grounding thing for me, I feel like, probably around those years. I'm glad you said that, Mike, because I think that's that's something that's particular, particularly unique about Seattle. Maybe we share this with the Bay Area as well, but large immigrant communities with mm-hmm. black communities in a neighborhood that are super diverse, but I don't mean diverse in the way that a lot of people mean when they say right. it, because right. for a lot of people, diversity means to just whitewash, like to mm-hmm. become the default, That's which is not diversity at all, mm-hmm. but, but to actually have like neighbors and households and whole communities that are holding on to their culture in beautiful ways, interacting with each other also in real ways. And for us to have... Gr- been blessed to have grown up i think we're all south end cats too yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah th- this is this is particularly like a south end thing i feel That's like and, and, <laughs> yeah. and what and parts of the west as well you know shout outs to white Definitely. center as well oh yeah for sure for sure you, you know but but to to have all have that experience of like 
growing up and it's a different culture inside of our household. Parents speak a different language. We got some different kind of, you know, cuisine or whatever. But when we go outside, we go to the park, we go to school. It's it's a common language that we find with our peers. And I think for our generation, like hip hop was that common ground. And yeah, it's just interesting to like think about that and like how we grew up versus how polarized it feels now. Like I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely not really. Yeah, and maybe I'm looking at it from like, you know, just older eyes. Maybe I'm looking at the national landscape more than the local because maybe it still feels like this in the South End for youngsters. I don't know because I'm not young anymore, you know? Right, right, right. But But you see see the discourse kind of change and and be more polarized. Um, Yeah, and I want people to know that like, yo, there's a long history of us building together, you know, and not and not... And not in a performative way, in a real like, this is family, you know? Right. So that's that's why this was important to me, you know? Absolutely. That that international, that that global community that we know from the South End of Seattle, excuse me, the South End. Um, <laughs> right. So vital. And it's why the nine eight one one eight was once the most diverse zip code in the United States. Right. And, and there's such power to that, all these different communities, all these different languages, all these different cuisines, smells, flows, flavors, the way people are relating to each other. And it was nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just that's a part of the of that's 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 a cultural signifier to my youth here in Seattle big time. And uh, so I'm really glad you spoke on that, Gabriel, because I think we see and maybe it's fueled by the kind of divisive algorithms that that we're mm-hmm. pressed with constantly on our, our chosen communication methods these days but it mm-hmm. seems more polarized and i'm glad that we can talk about a time a pre-digital time where people related and built together and it, it wasn't a thing and I, and I believe that 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 absolutely still exists but i think we need to underline it and highlight it you know what i mean for real it's a and privilege such- to come up with that Absolutely. And celebrate it, you know? Yes. Yeah. And so we've been talking about this and kind of previewing these interviews and these conversations to come. Um, And all this started being generated in the month of May around pushing boundaries and honoring Asian Americans in general. But this is great because it's a springboard to being able to talk about artists from the diaspora all year. And um, I really treasure getting to do that and this be connected to... um, you know, interviews and conversations we've had in the past around hip hop, whether we're talking about Supreme or Vitamin D. So I really, really, really appreciate uh, getting up with y'all to talk about it and your perspectives and uh, your voices and the voices that you you brought to the table here for this. Appreciate you, Larry. Yeah, I yeah, man, thanks, man. I totally I'm think certain. of it as as a continuation of those conversations, and I just want to say, man, like when looking at at something as massive as no pun intended but (laughs) as massive as the history of seattle hip-hop it's like it's a million stories inside of it like we could literally do a hip-hop history of seattle that goes on forever you know what i'm saying and there'll be so many unique different stories that are connected to places all over the planet that are still here you know so i'm just you know 
I'm thankful to add on like some bricks and hopefully like, you know, a series that'll just keep going and keep growing. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that. That's right. And it's an honor to get to be able to to tell these stories and, and have people tell their story. Well, thank you guys for joining me uh, in this conversation. Look forward to more in this place right here on Sound and Vision. My name is Larry Mizell Jr. Joined by Mike Ramos and Gabriel Teodros. Shout out to Emily Fox holding it down right here on KEXP. And next time on Sound and Vision, we'll hear about a Filipino arts collective that hosted open mic nights, a space that gave rise to the most prominent Filipino MC, Geo of Blue Scholars. It was like a, a bubble of just creative youth expression in the city um, that centered a lot of marginalized voices. That's coming up next time on Sound and Vision. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this show. And think about giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this podcast at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.